Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. These are the Casey Tapes. You, man, and Favaz explore the backstories and interviews heard on Casey, the longest-running rock station in the country. Welcome to the Casey Tapes podcast. I'm John Hewitt and Favaz here. Hi, John. We struck gold here on this one. Yeah. This is a, a it was on a reel-to-reel tape. I just dubbed it off the reel-to-reel into our computer here so they can uh, edit out some of the gaps that were in the interview because uh, uh, th- they would pause for commercials and songs. Mm-hmm. So we took those gaps out, and it's all one piece now. And it runs about 20 minutes and 27 seconds. It's an interview that uh, a guy named Gary Colander he used to work at Casey here in the 70s and 80s. He did 7 to Midnight for quite a quite a long period of time, maybe like 8 or 9, 10 years. And uh, he's interviewing Neil Peart. And uh, they're together in the studio, although it sounds like they're in a in a hallway or something, so uh, you know I don't know what the situation was. Doesn't sound like it's in a in a real good studio, but the quality of the interview is still very good. And Gary was a very laid back guy. He would talk like this, as you'll see, <laughs> and he always put his hands behind his head and spoke into the microphone very softly and had pauses. Hmm. And he was loved by the listeners. Hmm. And Neil Peart of Rush. Uh, too bad that we lost him just a few years ago. He had brain cancer. Um, you know, he didn't do many interviews, uh, after, after this, this was uh, during a time where he was doing some and, um, you know, he lost his wife, lost his daughter, mm-hmm. you know, rode his motorcycle everywhere. He was, yep. he wrote all the lyrics for Rush and a great drummer. This goes so. back to 1981, uh, upon the release of the movie, uh, the uh, album Moving Pictures. Right. So let's get into the interview. Hello, I'm Gary Colander with an exclusive KC interview with Neil Peart from Rush. Neil, glad to have you back in St. Louis. Thank you very much. We're glad to be here. Haven't seen you personally since uh, last year, since the KC Valentine's Day Massacre when Rush was in town for three sold-out shows, precedent in St. Louis concert history. And uh, you're back again now. Yes, our annual affair, I guess, with uh, St. Louis. The fans uh, just keep on growing. More and more people coming out every time to see Rush. Yeah, I was mentioning how pleased we are with the audience, particularly in St. Louis, because uh, even people from our crew were mentioning last night how well-behaved the audience was, although the enthusiasm and the the volume level of response was uh, very intense, but still there was no uh, ugly bottles and firecrackers and stuff flying around. Firecrackers. (laughs) I've told people stories about um, going to concerts, and people would throw full packs of lit firecrackers from the upper deck down on the people on the floor. Yeah. Do you remember that? I, well, I remember firecrackers. I don't remember that. Yeah. But I remember Frisbees, too. I mean, all mm. the things that you can't bring in now yeah. used to happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I remember full packs of firecrackers landing near me and going, what the hell? People scattering. and. How about, do you remember the, uh, the aerosol cans? You'd blow, you know, well, yeah. and, and yeah. you put a uh, lighter up to it and it had shoot fire out? Oh, I don't know. I never did that. Oh, I saw that. Oh, wow. I saw Holy that at concerts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very satisfying night from audience band relationship. I heard many good comments about the show after yeah. I got off last. They sound like they're in two different places. This sounds almost like a, um, uh, Neil is on satellite 
and Gary's talking to him yeah. uh, in the studio at Casey. Could be. Yeah. Tonight, we'll be talking about the show and uh, the new LP, Moving Pictures. First, we're going to get in the mood with a song from uh, Rush's first LP. You're listening to an exclusive interview with Rush on KC95. You're listening to KC95, an exclusive interview with Neil Peart from Rush. Now, Neil, on the first album, that's where that song came from, In the Mood, you were not on that album. How did you come to replace John uh, Rutsey, um, former drummer? <laughs> just a lot of coincidences, really, and, and uh, knowing the right people at the right time, basically. Just at the time the album had been finished, it hadn't even been released in America or even uh, an American record deal arranged yet. And, and so they were looking for a new drummer, and they'd heard of me through mutual friends and so on. So I joined right on the eve of the first American tour, just as the first album was being released in the States. So pretty well day one as far as everything's concerned. Were you familiar with the band? I mean, did you have a uh, Rush LP or a Rush No, nothing like that. Uh, the manager approached me. I was working at a regular day job at the time, and... He came on to me and told me all these wild stories about recording contract and American tour, and I sort of yawned in disbelief and youthful cynicism, thinking that it was you know a story I'd heard many times. It's a familiar tale to a young musician, so I just took it with a grain of salt. But uh, listening to the the album subsequently, I was impressed with the uh, musical abilities of the other two guys, and I thought it was certainly worth my while to check it out. And so we sort of had a mutual audition and well, the music abilities of the other two guys not so much the guy he replaced I guess uh, well first. They, they were in the band that he was yeah. about to join well, so yeah, that's true. yeah he, they like, he liked them they were musically very satisfied with each other and decided to continue since you have joined Rush you have collaborated or written yourself some of Rush's finest lyrics and were you uh, before you joined Rush you were a drummer but you must have been a poet at heart well, at heart is a relative term. I mean, I was passionate about reading and words long before music came into my life. So you dabbled in writing well, poetry, Well, not, not with a serious dream, though. It wasn't the obsession that music became. But uh, from the time I first learned to read, I was a voracious reader of, of magazines, books, anything that was around, basically. <clears throat> but at the same time, it was still, for one thing, I was too young to figure out what these kind of things mean. And uh, when music came into my life when I was 13... It was to the exclusion of everything else, you know, nothing else mattered. And through a couple of my earlier uh, first first bands that started to get into original material, I did have a go at, at a couple of lyrics, but it was it was more just for the fun of it at the time, you know. I never considered it, even when I joined Rush, as ever being anything that would be important or any kind of a future for me. <laughs> but uh, there was no one in Rush that was interested in writing lyrics, and I thought, well, you know, I'll give it a try, and if the other guys like it, then that'll be okay. And I just wrote a couple of songs that turned out to be, I guess, Anthem and uh, Rivendell on the Fly By Night album. And uh, the other guys were pleased, so I kept on doing it, and they weren't interested in doing it, so I got a monopoly more or less by default. Wow, a- a- organic. Anthem, yeah. Anthem was more a great Rush old tune. Yeah, you know? yeah. I am so excited to hear this interview, to hear him speak. Uh, same here. I can't believe yeah. it. Yeah. Now, when you are growing up in Canada, that's where you're from, isn't it? That's right. Who did you listen to when you were, say, formative years, high school, um, well, I Teams. began playing in uh, the mid-60s, so the music that was prevalent then, uh, a lot of my learning had to do with playing along with the radio, so I mean, what was current then was like uh, Dave Clark 5, and I remember playing along to Homeward Bound by Simon Garfunkel, uh, These Boots Are Made for Walking, Nancy Sinatra, and yeah. so on. Wow, can you imagine Neil yeah. Peart playing drums for <laughs> Nancy Sinatra? No. Yeah, that's crazy, but yeah. that's, you know, that's what was out there back then. 
things that were considered to be rock and roll back then were are not considered to be rock and roll anymore. Yeah, and more for like sure. soft rock or you know folk oldies, rock or so, oldies or, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But aside from being, I was obviously at that time obsessed by drumming, but not by music yet. If you know what I mean, not as a fan, you know, not as a lover of music, but I just like playing drums so far. And then when uh, bands, well, for instance, The Who was the first band that I got really. Uh, into from a fan's point of view, and that changed my whole perspective musically, of course, too. Keith Moon influenced yeah, them. Yeah, baby. So that uh, as, as the band's following around the same time as The Who, like the Yardbirds, and uh, the first wave of English progressive bands with Jimi Hendrix and Cream and so on, um, that's when I started to get very passionate about music, and that even doubled my obsession about playing drums, too. All of a sudden, I wanted to play it with the same kind of values that these people were applying to it, and the same kind of excitement and commitment. On Fly By Night, you wrote the lyrics, and you play some incredible drums on one of the standout songs, one that you just mentioned. Uh, let's share with everyone right now, Anthem, Anthem of Heart and Mind by Rush on KC95. I'm going to mention something here that's probably going to mess this thing up a little <clears throat> bit for some people, because then you're going to be listening for it. If you listen, and I left some gaps in here, so, mm -hmm. so you will also hear it. You can hear like somebody talking very lightly in the background. Have mm -hmm. you heard any of that yet? I have not heard you it. Have noticed it yet? Okay, nope. well, I've noticed it because I know it's there. But because the Keishi Studios were right underneath the tower in Crestwood, mm -hmm. and the and the transmitter was in the room right next to the room he was probably recording the, recording this in, mm -hmm. you'd get RF feedback oh. in our in everything in our huh. tape machines. Uh, on on the turntables and the and the turntable arms, you could you could sometimes hear it very because very, it, it was just so powerful that it just permeated everything that was electronics. And RF stands for radio radio frequency. frequency. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, people who lived in the apartment building across the street from the radio station, they would complain to us all the time <laughs> that they were getting on their TVs and on their wow. radios. They'd they'd hear our station bleeding in. It would piss them off. We mm -hmm. said, "Nothing we can do about yeah. it." Yeah. yeah, so you can hear it in wow. this interview in the background from time to time. Maybe I'll point it out next time. I, it's kind of it's more prevalent. You're listening to a Casey exclusive interview with Neil Peart from Rush. When you got into Rush, did you have any dreams before you uh, say got into them that you'd have any idea that you'd be playing before thousands and thousands of people, sold out concerts across the United States? Did you have a dream of uh, well, you know, no, being I, a rock and roll star? I think most of the professionals that. Uh, that I've spoken to or, or read interviews with and so on, whether they happen to be race car drivers or tennis players, uh, you usually look one goal ahead. You know, when I started playing drums, my dream was to play uh, the local hotspots in my hometown. You know, I would never have considered anything beyond that. And then once I'd reached that level, um, it became a dream to play for a band that was a little bigger scale in terms of being an, uh, you know, a, a bigger regional band. And it seems to go step by step where your dreams keep pace with your accomplishments. And as one accomplishment is achieved, it it's becomes meaningless. And there's one more step that becomes, uh, you know, the ultimate goal. You tend to see things in, in a more limited growth, you know. I think anyone that is the kind of wide-eyed dreamer that dreams of the absolute end of the road immediately, then you're unlikely to ever have the patience to go through the steps involved in between, you know. So uh, it, it was a, a very, it was a very practical kind of uh, ambition, if you like. You know, I just took things a, a step at a time. You're listening to an exclusive interview on KC95 with Neil Pert from Rush. We'll be back with more after this. Wow, I 
It's okay. He's so soft-spoken. He is. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Neil, glad to have you along here at KC95 for an exclusive interview prior to your second show at the Checker Dome tonight. Now, the album 2112 did many things for you. Uh, opened up doors not only for yourself, but opened up the doors of the minds of a lot of people in St. Louis. And it has become a favorite album of many Rush fans locally, 2112. Futuristic concept LP, I think, to the max. Now, you wrote the lyrics. All the lyrics decide one. Basically, my beginning theory, I guess, of, of starting work on 2112 had to do with uh, the idea of, a, of an individualist's choice of music, basically. That was what I wanted to express. And as the circumstances of my story started to develop with... Uh, discovering a musical instrument in the future and so on, I started to realize that there was a close parallel to the book Anthem, so I thought, you know, all I can do is continue on this natural path and, and attribute the fact that uh, Anne Rand and, and the book Anthem were instrumental in the, uh, in the creation of this. It's sort of like a futuristic 1984 almost, isn't it? In many ways, really, I think 2112 is, is really our first album, you know, in a musical sense as well. It was the first time that we really cemented a strong individual style. On Farewell to mm. Kings, you wrote... Interesting. Yeah, yeah. wrote the lyrics to that song, too. And uh, the chorus. How does the chorus go? You, cities uh, full of hatred. Fear, fear of lies. Withered hearts. Cruel and cruel tormented eyes. eyes. Scheming demons. Wrapped in kingly guise. Kingly guise. Beating Being down the multitude. Stopping at the wise. Can't we raise our eyes and make a start? Can't we find the minds to lead us closer, closer to, to the heart? Wow. wow, that was pretty cool, man. Yeah, Gary Colander doing the uh, doing the lyrics right there, along with Neil Peart. Right, it was crazy a, it was a duet almost. Yeah. We have Neil Peart, an exclusive interview. Here, singing in the background. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah I no. do it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I told you I'd ruin it for you. Yeah, thanks. Interview with Neil <laughs> from KC ninety five. Neil, the drummer of Rush. Very glad that you could take time out to be a part of Casey's interview with you before your show tonight at the Checker Dome. Now, on that song, Closer to the Heart, you had a co-author on there. Mm. Um, actually, he began as a, in our experience as a radio person. We got to know him in, in Seattle, working for a small radio station there. And uh, we were invited out to his home on a small island near Seattle. And had a great time with him and his family and so on. And struck a relationship. And he was also a... A writer and gave me a, a bunch of his songs and so on. So Closer to the Heart is actually two of his songs plus about half of my input put together. So it's, there's a lot of synergy in there, but uh, I think that it does. It's probably one of my most satisfying uh, pieces of work because it's very concise, but at the same time, it says you know as much as you want it to say, basically. You're listening to Neil Pert of Rush. An exclusive interview on KC95. We'll be back with more after this. Anything you want to say? No. I know. I just, just want to keep, keep going, listening. man. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the name Terry, okay, Terry Brown, Terry Brune, how you pronounce it? <laughs> there's, little, there's little italics behind here. It says Terry Brune. That He's looks been like Brune for a, lot, long, a long time, though, yeah. He made uh, his appearance at the second album, too, when you did. And Terry is uh, the arranger co-producer along yeah. with the group and he's also the engineer very often yeah sometimes we use an outside engineer but he is of course a, a practicing engineer and often likes to take control himself now when you're in concert say at a big place like the checker dome 
do you ahead of time your sound engineer sound director work with the producer of the LP to try and get the sound like the album in a concert hall environment yes actually Jerry was out with us for the first week of this tour working together with our engineer um, that's the ideal obviously given the limitations of our live situation and uh, also of course the pressure isn't quite as great because you're trying to capture more of the feeling and the excitement of it whereas in the studio you have to capture the feeling and the excitement as well as an absolutely no perfect execution so sometimes you can spend literally a matter of days on the same songs before you can combine both perfect execution of course and a very natural feel they don't always go together unfortunately <laughs> so, sounds like a frustrating com- uh, process to get it right yeah but especially they, for him I mean he yeah. they, all of them seem very nitpicky yeah meticulous you know? yeah, yeah. that's they, they all had the patience to, to make it happen released a live LP back in September of 1976 all the world's a stage and there has been talk and it was rumors floating around the trade magazines that your next LP would be a live album well in fact as it happens our last album was supposed to be a live album too but uh, we jumped horses in midstream um, actually in the early part of last year just a matter of weeks before we went to Europe to record because we were recording our shows in London and uh, a couple of other shows over in England in a matter of weeks before that we said no, no, timing's not right it's uh, the right time for us to be in the studio putting out new material both from our own point of view because we felt very creative and we were uh, having things happen in sound checks and so on that were very interesting so we knew that we were ready for it and uh, the scene around us too seemed to suggest that since we knew what we were doing and a lot of other people didn't that it was the right time for us to be working in the studio so we sort of dove into it uh, it was nice because we're obviously part of such an enormous machine now involving so many people's jobs and so many people's lives and that that it's often difficult for us to change our plans spontaneously and I was thinking yesterday that you just can't phone up 10,000 people and say look I, I really can't make it today you know <laughs> so obviously our plans are, are difficult to change sometimes so it was very satisfying for us to say no no we're not doing that change it all around we're going to do this it's nice to feel that you still have that freedom and flexibility well I heard that uh, instead of moving pictures it was going to be alive you say that previous one permanent wave no I meant uh, moving pictures mm-hmm. was, was meant to be a, a live album yes. so that still might be in the works another live album well we still have all the tapes that we recorded and uh, we've also planned to record some upcoming shows when we're at our hometown in Toronto we're doing three shows there in the next few weeks that uh, will be recorded as well so the moving pictures album was going to be a live album titled moving pictures and decided just to make it a studio album and keep the same name mm-hmm um, I'm looking at uh well, the studio records, oh, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, right after Moving Pictures, they did Signals. Mm-hmm. Signals came out in 1982. Before that, it was Permanent Waves. And they went like every three records, they did a live yeah. record. I thought it was every four. Uh, out of three or four, yeah. it doesn't matter. What, yeah, what is it? Does it show? Uh, it doesn't show. When you look uh, at the live albums, does it show a, a pat- pattern of how many years in between the releases? It, uh, no, it doesn't. Um it doesn't. That was after four, every four albums. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, Exit Stage Left came out in 1981, so it was after. Uh, and then one, two, three, uh, four. I, I'm not sure. Because they've got the Presto Tour, the Hold Your Fire Tour, mm-hmm. Power Windows Tour, Grace Under Pressure, Signals Tour, Exit Stage Left uh, came out uh, after uh, Moving Pictures Tour. So it, it, it's kind of weird. But, yeah, they have a lot of live records, that's for sure. So our game plan at the moment calls for a live album this fall sometime. <laughs> but I hate to promise. <laughs> <laughs> From the LP Permanent Waves, you got a lot of radio recognition throughout the United States. 
one of my favorite songs and many people in the radio business is Spirit of the Radio. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's very satisfying for us too that it should be recognized by radio people as, because it was an honest tribute to uh, what moves us about radio as listeners. And, you know, apart from all the, uh, the marketing and so on, what makes it a valuable and important thing to our lives. So. That Permanent Waves album got the same treatment that the debut mm-hmm. album by Shooting Star got when we were competing with KWK at the time. And we were both trying to prove which rock station could find the most good songs on some albums that were out at that particular time. And one of the benefactors was Permanent Waves album. That's why Mm. we went so deep and so many tracks on that album. Because our competitor was also doing the same thing. They were playing as many, a bunch of songs off that album. So we had to go just as deep. And and Spirit of Radio, you know, on my intro that I do every morning, I know you're probably asleep, but at 6 a.m., that's, you know, part of uh, Spirit of Radio is part of my intro, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Begin the day with a friendly voice. Mm-hmm. To do that song right now. Here we go. Okay, Spirit of the Radio. You're listening to an exclusive interview with Neil Peart. Music and words from Rush on Keishi. You are part of an exclusive interview with Neil Peart, the drummer from Rush on Keishi 95. Neil, it's very good to have you here this afternoon. We're back. Now we're thinking... Um, Going way back, as a matter of fact, a few years, the first one of the first times you were in St. Louis was for Casey Kitefly. Yes, yes it was. It was also one of the earliest, yeah. really big shows that we did. So it's a strong memory even now. I can clearly remember that show, playing outdoors in the afternoon, and of course it was the beginning of uh, a very long relationship with both this city and, of course, Casey. So uh, you know that's that's an important memory for us. Well, we are always glad to have you back here. I think. Last year had to be one of the epitomes of any concerts here in St. Louis, the three sold-out nights for the Casey Valentine's Massacre. It was also, a, I was just, it just flashed on me that it was doubly significant. Those shows last year, of course, were recorded for a radio special, which uh, was broadcast across the whole country in Canada, and uh, it was very successful, I guess, from, from our point of view as well. Ooh, we got to find that. That would be good to have. <laughs> wow. I'm so I, I finally found the uh, live records that the Rush yeah. has put out. So they went from exit stage left. <clears throat> they didn't do another one for eight years. Okay. From 1981 to then to 89, a show of hands came out. And in between that time, they put out more than four uh, records. They put out uh, uh, Hold Your Fire in 87. Uh, what else here? Um, Power Windows in 85. Grace Under Pressure, 84. Signals, 82. Um, it was, it was, they, that, that was four right there. That was, that was their deal. That's, that's what they did. What, every four yeah. albums? I guess it was every four. Yeah. yeah. So that was, it was kind of immortalized as well. You did, you're getting good response to your new LP, Moving Pictures? Yeah, I was uh, <laughs> thinking of that, that uh, it often takes quite a while for people to get really excited about new songs because, of course, your relationship with a song has so much to do with the memories that you accrue listening to it and you heard it in such and such a place with this group of friends and all those things make you, you know, develop a kind of a, a snowballing affection for a song and it's not often that you get such an excited response from, from new songs you know, usually of course you get a response and a, and a very polite response of course but uh, not the excitement that an older song will get in a show for instance that's why audiences always like the older songs because of all those memories and associations they have uh, What response did you have to some of your new songs last night? Well, talking about Specifically, of uh, of Tom Sawyer, we've been getting the strongest response of it. It's really, really quite surprising how strong the response is for that song. 
very gratifying as well because it's quite a different song for us in terms of its tempo and its rhythmic structure and so on. So to have a fresh new piece like that being so well accepted is very satisfying. I think people relate to it too in that uh, Tom Sawyer is almost a Missouri figure. That's exactly from true. Yeah, made Mark that Twain from up in Hannibal. Yeah, and it definitely draws from the original mythos. I mean, when I was a little boy reading Mark Twain's books, I was floating around on rafts and ponds and all that, too. So it was, it was the way I grew up. Wow, so Missouri I, has a little bit of a yeah. connection to uh, Tom Sawyer. I'm I mean. so glad he asked, or, you know, they're, they're talking about Tom Sawyer, because that is known as one of the greatest drum songs ever. Yeah. You know? Let's hear it. We've got Tom Sawyer from Moving Pictures. You're listening to an exclusive interview with Neil Peart, music and words from Rush, from KC95. The song is Tom Sawyer from Rush from their new LP, Moving Pictures, on KC95. The title itself, Moving Pictures, gives an implication of a movie. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, most of the songs were written prior to having a title, so I was uh, casting them out in my mind as I am every album to try and find a title for the whole thing. And I often like to find a title that isn't necessarily a, a song title. And uh, it turned out that looking at the songs individually and collectively, a lot of them had to do with a kind of a cinematic look at something and a very fast-paced kind of an action picture, as in, as in Tom Sawyer to an extent, but more particularly with Red Barchetto or The Camera Eye or, or Witch Hunt. These songs are very strongly cinematically oriented, and a song like Limelight has a lot of camera metaphors and references in it and so on. So once the two words struck me as being attractive-sounding, I liked the... Uh, both the suggested meaning of moving pictures and all the subtle double meanings and so on. And then I realized that it did tie together loosely as being a general concept for all the other pieces too. So uh, it seemed like a natural to me. And then once I suggested it to the other guys and they agreed, then it was done. <laughs> Anybody offered you? I've never heard that explanation before. <clears throat> me either. Wow. You know, uh, we, we got to get a hold of Rush the Band. I mean, when we, we have tweeted out, when we do this uh, this podcast, when we release it, we're just going to have to let them know. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I'm sure they would love to have to hear this, too. Mm -hmm. to uh, actually do a movie, well, maybe a soundtrack? Looking, what we're looking for at the time is, is a soundtrack we've been looking for for the last couple of years because it's a project that we'd all be interested in doing. But um, it's really difficult to find the right piece. You know, Now that we've long and developed uh, the skills and experience necessary, we don't really want to throw it away on you know, a kind of a worthless movie. So we're waiting for the classic of the 80s, too. A rush movie. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Let's put you in the limelight again. That's the song of another LP from Moving Pictures. And here it is. Brand new rush from Moving Pictures. Limelight from KSHE. And he sat through all those songs, too. Yeah. During the course of this Unreal. interview. Unreal. Yeah. Uh, Neil, I want to thank you very much for coming down here. I know you have to get ready to do your show here tonight. And a few of things we still have to look forward to could possibly be a Rush movie of some sort, if they would come Music apart. Music by Rush. Yeah, Music yeah. by Rush, at least, and the soundtrack. Right. And will we uh, see maybe another live album the upcoming year or two? Well, that's in the cards so far, yeah, barring any kind of change of heart, then uh, a live album should be along later this year. And it was. Great. Yeah. Exit stage left. Mm -hmm. We'll definitely be looking forward to that. Anyone who is attending the concert tonight at the Checker Dome has something to look forward to. I've heard of a few new things that you've been adding to your show. Mm. You have uh, some projections in the back That's now. That's right. Yeah, we've, we've always worked on that, of course, developing it from year to year as uh, finances and time permit. But uh, this year we've really added an interesting company, the song Red Barchetta, 
there's a computer animation film in the middle of it that uh, by the time by the time it's on the big screen behind us, it looks like a big video computer game that you're watching and you're sort of being drawn along the roadway uh, in the car, basically. So it works, you know, very successfully. We've changed the the visual setup of our show just a bit in, in terms of the stage setup and the light arrangement and so on. So to us, it's it's quite a different show and more streamlined and uh, you know just a little cleaner and nicer. Uh, Barry. Neil, I want to thank you very much for taking time out this afternoon to give Casey an exclusive interview with yourself. (laughs) Neil Perth, the drummer of Rush, wants you to say hi to Getty and Alex. Haven't seen Alex since last year. We uh, did a little picking after the show, so one of my guitars. (laughs) Terry was picking with Alex Lifeson backstage. Wow. Yeah. You are, um, well, you're getting ready right now to do the show in about an hour or so. And we're going to leave the listeners and yourself so you can get ready with a little live rush from your all the world's stage, some fly-by-night. So thank you once again, Neil. Good luck on the rest of your tour. I hope it is sold out all over the United States. And looking forward to seeing you back in St. Louis. Maybe you'll come in to promote your next new live LP. Yes, thanks very much. I'm sure we'll be back again in our regular annual affair probably next year, not far off of this time. Neil Peart of Rush on KC95. KC95. Yeah. How do I end this? Hmm. Um, uh, so there you go. <clears throat> that and, was cool. And, and I'm sure Neil did it because he was uh, strongly aware of how important KC was mm-hmm. at the time to yeah. the continued development of the band and the previous uh, success. Yeah. yeah. Talk about a KC exclusive. All of these interviews that we do on the KC tapes are KC exclusives. But that one right there, that, that's the cream of the crop. Yep, there Thank you go. All right, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at uh, STLU Man, and on Instagram, I'm Johnny Hewlett. And you can just follow me. Favaz saying so long, farewell. Bye. AMF. The KC Tapes with you, man, and Favaz. For more on the history of KC, go to KC95.com or the KC mobile app.